Welcome to Spielin' and Dealin', the Georgia High School Basketball Podcast. I am Kyle Sandy, the owner and founder of SandySpiel.com. The GHSA State Championships are here. Drama afoot everywhere you look, everywhere you turn. We will address the elephant in the room. And we are going to break down these state championship games and all the Twitter mayhem. But we're going to break down these state championship games as they will be played starting on March 9th, Wednesday at the Making Coliseum, where you open up with Class A Public and Class 4A. Class A Public, 1 p.m. start time with the girls. Hancock Central, 18 and 3 overall, versus number three ranked Lake Oconee Academy, a 25 and 1 team coming off a 58-30 win over Taylor County. You saw Hancock Central beat Commerce 50-37. T. Amber Williams had 14 points. Jamaria Lawrence had 12 points. And Jalexia Hargrove added 8 points in that win. I think Lake Oconee Academy has been the better team throughout the year. They only have one loss, which was a 42-34 loss to Stratford. Um, the three losses for Hancock, they've come against two good teams, one team a little shaky, but they were all bigger schools. They lost 47-45 to Veterans, lost 63-36 to Final Four Bound Baldwin, and they lost 65-36 to Washington County. Uh, Hancock Central, this is a team that's going to have uh, the big size advantage. I know that's something Coach Ed Wilson is a, a tad bit concerned about, but like Oconee Academy with their guard play. Um, I think they'll be able to have a chance in this one. They are, you know, the team that I would think is the favorite here, ranked third in the state. Hancock has not been ranked at all, but Hancock is playing their best basketball of the season, obviously, and has been picking up some wins against some pretty stiff competition. Um, But I'm going with Lake Oconee Academy in this one with the co-players of the year, Jada Williams, Georgia Bosart, Hannah Heinen, a first-team selection. Kenzie Stevens made honorable mention. This is a good team. Again, a little bit void of size, but their guard play, they can shoot a little bit from the perimeter. Very well coached. If they're able to control the glass, I think they have an opportunity to win this game. Uh, And I just hope it's a better game than last year in this Class A public. I mean, we had like 40 missed free throws, 40 combined turnovers. Class A public girls, let's be honest, sometimes you have to hold your breath because – uh, it can get a little ugly at times, but I think this game is going to be fairly well played. Uh, but I'm going to go with Lake Oconee Academy just with the amount of guards that they can throw out there. But they have to be careful because Hancock Central, you know, they have a lot of girls that can score it. Jamaria Lawrence, 12 points per game. The freshman, Neela Lamar, 11 points. Tamber Williams, 10 points. And then Hargrove inside is a big difference maker. Then another freshman, Sonovia Reynolds, has had a very good season, but I'm going with LOA. All right, let's address the monkey in the room, the elephant in the room. I'm sure this is something that people want to hear my take on. I've been relatively quiet on Twitter about Class A Public. State championship game has Drew Charter, number two in the state, Versus number six in the state, Warren County. Warren County, twenty-five and three. Drew Charter, thirty and one. Um, depending on who you ask, but Drew Charter has advanced. They won seventy to sixty-six in overtime against Social Circle. 
and Warren County won a close game in their own right, 49-48 over Manchester game that no one is talking about because everyone is talking about this debacle at Valdosta State with Drew Charter and Social Circle. And everybody has heard about what has happened by now. You can go back and watch it on NFHS. Gabriel Stovall has done um, great work going back and scoring every single bucket by hand. Doesn't even have a dog in the fight per se as he is in the Augusta area now. But I've done the same thing, at least in that, that, that first quarter and through the second quarter where everything kind of went screwy, where Drew Charter was awarded two points on a free throw. I believe they were at 18 points. Free throw is knocked down, and they magically jump to 20 points. And, okay, that's, that's big considering how this game went into overtime. And then later on in the second quarter, Again, you can see it with the clock, you know, NFHS clock. When you're looking at the NFHS broadcast, and that's why I didn't really tweet anything out, among other reasons, um, especially that first night when it happened, because I wanted to go back and see it for myself. Because sometimes when you look at the NFHS broadcast, you know, they might be slow adding a point or, uh, you know, things happen. Sometimes there's a little glitch here or there. So I was curious as to going back and watching it for myself to make sure everything was legit with Social Circle's beef on this score. And everything they said is 100% true. Um, And again, you know, a free throw was counted as two points. And then later on in that second quarter, just randomly playing, oh, another point slips up on the board for Drew Charter. And I know people are killing officials, and officials have had a hard time. And, you know, it feels like every single year officials, or maybe more so the GHSA, has egg on their face with what happens um, in these state tournament games. And there's always, you know, they've had the basket uh, malfunction and the, the wrong height and length and all that. And, you know, that, 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 was, that was a case that happened too. But there's been um, some other crazy things that have happened. And this is more so a, a clerical error. And I know, you know, GHSA, they have their – someone has to be at each event site for the Final Four – and I don't know if they just weren't aware of what was going on and how serious this issue was with the points. But, uh, you know, this has happened before. It happened in 2003. It happened with GAC girls in 2017 with points just, you know, appearing or disappearing from the scoreboard. And it's what it comes down to is complete incompetence of who is the official book. And I, I don't know what you're doing or how they're being picked to to do this and what they're doing if their only job is to just put the correct points into the scoreboard and and board and in the scorebook and if you're the uh, official book uh you better be officially correct with what's going on and you know for them to just think that they can't make errors and then you you know you can see all this stuff on you know, social circles, timeline. I know Drew Charter said some strange, weird things, trying to go back and forth, uh, just weird stuff. Um, but, you know, the fact that it sounds like the other, you know, the team books were both on par with what the correct score was, but the official scorekeeper wanted to add weird points here and there to, you know, which ultimately ended up affecting the game, of course, with the game that went into overtime. Uh, I, there's, I don't know what you can do as far as, you know, reprimanding the, the, the scorekeeper. Are they going to tar and feather this person and have them do the walk of shame down the street? 
No one knows who this person is, and at this point, it's it's too far gone. No, nothing's going to happen. I, I know pretty much everybody that is for fair play and justice and, you know, obviously what, what, what was right on the scoreboard. Everyone wants this game overturned for social circle. They ended up winning 56-54 at the end of regulation if you correctly kept points. You know, we weren't asking the scorekeeper to count to 500 or 1,000. They were, you know, asked to count to 56 to 54, and they weren't able to do that correctly. And no one is saying that Drew Charter uh, cheated. It was just a complete incompetence by the the scorekeeper and the you know the book and the scoreboard and everybody who they were you know quote unquote officials appointed at that semifinal site. Um, so no one's no one's coming after Drew Charter, but they have been very defensive and just really weird stuff they've been saying on on Twitter. I would just be very quiet and just be very happy that you made it, and now you you're probably going to be a favorite to win the state championship. Um, but that's, that's for another story. Um, we know the GHSA isn't going to do anything about this and it's a, a, a very bad shame. And that's the issue because you have video evidence. You can't dispute facts. If 56 points were scored and the other team only scored 54 points, that, that is a fact you don't get the, you know, you can't, you can, what is that phrase? You're entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own set of facts. And the fact is, Drew Charter was outscored in regulation and lost that game in regulation 56-54. And rightfully so, everyone from Social Circle and everybody that's a fan of, you know, high school basketball is up in arms about this and is screaming and yelling. And the exact same thing would happen to any other team. So that's, that, that is very strange. Again, if you're on the other side of this, you, 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 know, you, you won the game, you got fortunate, and you got to give Drew Charter a lot of credit because this is definitely an upset and for them to play that well and to be in that position and to have that lead early on in this game until Social Circle started pressing and really you know, turned it around in the second half. But Drew Charter uh, put themselves in the position to um, be able to have, if anything crazy like this happened, you know, whatever. But again, still, they, they were outscored in regulation. But give them credit for this game to be that close for this to even occur. But if Drew Charter, if any team was in this position that Social Circle was, they would be doing the same thing that Social Circle is doing. What are you going to tell your kids, not only for an undefeated season, this is for anybody, for a season ending yeah, uh, we outscored them in regulation, but the team that scored less points than us is moving on to play at the next level. And it's just very disappointing and frustrating for the GHSA. I know you're not going to be able to replay the game or overturn it. The GHSA, they, just, they don't do that stuff. They want to hide behind it and just let it happen. It's just an unfortunate event, but this unfortunate stuff seems to always occur um, when it matters most, whether it be the you know the timeout gate with Milton when they got screwed with that timeout against Pebblebrook, stuff like this, clerical errors can't happen. And especially when we have these games completely filmed now, you know all it takes is having a monitor. And I know we we don't necessarily want to go into replays and this and that and stopping the game, but if it's something blatant like that, if it's not you know a referee making a bad call or a blown call or whatever, if it's just a simple. Simple clerical errors, not putting the right points on the board. 
uh, it's unfathomable about how that cannot be addressed. And especially, you know, Social Circle was right on it. They, they called it out right when the score jumped uh, on that free throw. And uh, for this not to be corrected right away, you know, you, you hear stories in the past. Oh, we, we looked at the scorebook on the bus and saw this, that, and other. And, oh, it's too late. Well, Social Circle did everything they were supposed to do at that time, calling it out. But um, for it to not be corrected, it's a, it's, a, it's a great shame. And it really puts a damper on the state championship game, uh, and it, it just is a, uh, um, it's just going to be weird because I guess Drew Charter, you know, they're, they're a very good team, and um, they've done a good job continuing to pull out wins, and now they're playing a Warren County team with Lorenzo Johnson. And again, I feel bad not really talking too much about Warren County, but the whole story is this Final Four matchup with Drew Charter and Social Circle, but it, it is going to be very very strange, very eerie, and it's just going to have a lot of clouds surrounding this Class A public game at 3 p.m., a game that should be a really good game. Um, but it, it's, it's unfortunate what happened. It is you know, pretty unfair. Again, like if you're telling your kids, hey, yeah, I know we, we scored more points than them, but we don't get to go play in the state championship. Um, you know, any team would be doing exactly what Social Circle is doing. And it's, it's, it's frustrating, and I know there's nothing that's going to be overturned, unfortunately, but stuff like this continually happening every so often, every few years, it just, it just can't happen, and it, it doesn't take a whole lot to get this figured out and fixed. And Social Circle definitely, you know, they fell behind early, but they, they clawed their way back. Um, obviously, they deserve much better and, um, you know, if you're Drew Charter, you're, you're very fortunate that they got off to the fast start and was able to hold on. And, I, I mean, I guess you could say win that game in overtime with the extra period. You know, um, getting a cat gets nine lives, extra period chance to do it. But um, very, very disappointing with what happened. And, um, you know, obviously... Again, no one, no one is on the side of what happened if they heard this story as far as the clerical error. But, you know, if you're a coach, you can't just say, well, no, they screwed up. Sorry, crap happens. You're not going to do that. T- uh, coaches fight for their players and fight for their teams. And when it's, it's not a, you know, a missed call or a judgment call or something like that, when it's, when the, you know, it's simple math, that the facts are the facts, it's, um, that's a tough pill to swallow. But. I guess if we have to talk about this uh, this next matchup, uh, Drew Charter did get 23 points from Cedric Taylor, Cam Johnson, Jacoby Strozer, 13 apiece. B.J. Triplett hit a big three in overtime, had 10 points. Uh, and now they're seeing Warren County, who, again, they did beat Manchester by one point. Uh, Lorenzo Johnson is their star player. How are they going to be able to handle Drew Charter? Um, Taylor, again, it, I think he's now the, the X factor in this game. You know, Strozer... And um, Lorenzo Johnson kind of might cross each other out just with their athleticism, how they're able to get to the basket. But Cedric Taylor at six foot six, very dynamic, diverse player, does so many things well. And you saw how good he is when he's able to stay out of foul trouble. That can be an issue with him. Um, but his ability to score at multiple levels and really control the glass and alter shots and defend multiple positions, uh, I like him to be a really big factor in this game for Drew Charter. And I believe Drew Charter, um, again, come state tournament time, 
sometimes you have to have luck on your side and it's kind of yucky luck as far as how it happened it's not a ball bouncing in or out or anything like that but um, you have to have luck on your side a lot of things have to go your way to win a state championship and I think Drew Charter 100% got the benefit of the doubt there um, and I think they're going to be able to win this state title and capture uh, their first ever state championship in Class A public. Now moving on, Class 4A will play at 5 p.m. on the girls' side. Luella, number one in the state, 27-3, versus number five in the state, Marist, 27-3 as well. Marist had a tight game, kind of had to come from behind against Pickens and ended that, that magical run that Pickens had. They beat Pickens 38-35. I believe it was Lauren Kim had nine points to help Marist. Uh, Marist trailing at the end of all three quarters. And then Luella, 62-53 winner over Baldwin after they beat him by one early in the season. They were able to really take control. Had uh, Madison Ruff in foul trouble for Baldwin, and Baldwin could not get back into it. Milani Smith, 17 points, six rebounds, five assists. Played a key factor, and then Evelina Dablicu, 14, 5, and 5, the Jacksonville State signee. And then, of course, Trinity Layden, the balanced attack, 13 points and 8 rebounds. Um, two differing styles here, obviously. Marist, they hold opponents to 31 points per game. Luella scores 73 points per game. Kim Hickson does a tremendous job, but I just, you know, it, it, it's just, it's going to be a really tough matchup as far as the points, because Luella, again, we just said they, they score so much and they can press and can play very, very fast. And it's just really going to challenge what Marist uh, can do. Avery Fantucci is going to have to have a, a, a very heroic effort uh, along with a couple other of her teammates are going to have to play really well. Um, Kate Fletcher is a, another versatile forward that can pose some issues. Lexi Faclaris is important. Uh, it's just going to be really, really tough for Marist. Um, I don't know if they've necessarily seen a, a team quite like Luella as far as just how they can put Ari Dyson out there on the low block and then just all these athletic players and you know skilled and they can really play that up-tempo game. I think Marist obviously has a, 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 an opportunity to win this one, but if this game is played in the, you know, the 50s or higher, Heavy, heavy advantage to Luella, but if this game is able to be controlled by that tempo of Maris and gets somehow grinded out into the 40s, you have to feel good about Maris' opportunity, but I'm going to go with Luella. I just feel like they've been the best team in the state all year long, and they have really earned their way here, beating Baldwin, beating Carver-Columbus. They have beaten some very, very good teams. Those are the only, you know, those two other teams that were ranked in the top four heading into the state tournament. And I think they're just going to have too much in the tank uh, for a really good Marist team that is, you know, really, I don't even want to say exceeded expectations. They've gotten to where they needed to go and they have handled their business. But um, just even looking at the, uh, the path of how these two teams got here in the state tournament, um, definitely Luella has seen some bigger battles. And I think they should be able to pull this out against a very tough-nosed Marist team. Next up... We have the boys' championship in 4A. Spencer, number five, Spencer, 29-2 overall. Could this be the year? Versus Westover, number three in the state, the number one seed out of Region 1, 
25 and 3. And the prevailing theme, I would be remiss if I did not mention this, is the amount of familiarity this week. 7A boys, it's the fourth meeting. 5A girls, it's a title rematch. It's the eighth meeting in two years. 5A boys, title rematch. 4A boys, it's a sweet 16 rematch at Westminster, one at, or West over one at the buzzer, going the length of the court for a layup to stun Spencer. 3A boys, it's a Final Four rematch. 2A girls, it's a fourth meeting this year. 2A boys, it's a fourth meeting this year. So a lot of teams seeing each other again and again and again and again. But Westover and Spencer, uh, Spencer is tough. Tyson McDaniels has really come on strong. I love him as a Division I prospect. Uh, should be blowing up soon, if not already. He is right on the verge of becoming a special player. He was a Region Two player of the year at six foot eight. Just keys that press, does so much, averaging about 17 points and eight rebounds, and just so long. Um, he's he's really good. Uh, the Spencer team ended up winning. Uh, in the final four by a score of 44-38 over Maris. They were able to play that slow tempo of Maris, and they won that game. Randall Dixon had 12 points. Uh, And then Westover, they came from behind, down 23-13 at the half, got slow. McDonough wasn't able to handle it, and uh, Westover just kept creeping away, creeping away, and creeping back into it and scored a 42-39 win. Westover outscored. McDonough, 17-8 to in the fourth quarter, and Kamari Leverett and Efren Smith had 12 points apiece in the comeback. I think this is going to be a really good game. Um, you've seen Westover. How many times have so many really good teams and come so close but no cigar under, um, you know, or Westover. I'm making sure I'm saying that correctly. Westside and Westover both playing for a state title. But Westover has been close so many times. Um, but Coach Dal Smith just hasn't been able to climb that mountaintop lately. Um, I think this one's going to go down to the wire, as it did last year when they met in the Sweet 16. Uh, I'm going to go with Spencer. I think they have they have more weapons. They're so deep. But Jalen Drake inside and Tony Montgomery, a good young guard. Just so much to choose from. I think Westover is going to be able to kind of dictate this game as far as the score goes. I know Spencer wants this game super high scoring, but Spencer did just win a low scoring game. But I'm going to go with Spencer. I think the Green Wave, uh, with their size inside and their length, athleticism, I just think they have a lot at every position. I think Westover's going to be right there. But I think I'm going to go with Spencer to win a very tight ball game. That'll finish up day one at the Centerplex. Day two, March 10th, a Thursday. Here we go, familiarity. We have the fourth meeting between the girls and the boys at 1 p.m. Region 8. It was the best region all year long. If you followed sandyspiel.com, we were right on the money. The only two teams that were ranked number one and number two this year, I feel like, um, or at least number one between them. Elbert County, 27-4, and four, number two in the state, versus Rabin, number one in the state, 24-5. and five. Two terrific teams. I was able to watch these games in person. Elbert County absolutely dismantled Josie, uh, really just turned them into a, a team that just wasn't able to handle the pressure and could not shoot from the outside. And if you can't shoot from the outside and you can't handle pressure against Elbert County and you can't use your height to your advantage, you are in trouble. 
Elbert County looked fantastic. Coach Jones has them playing incredibly, incredibly well. Anaya Allen, just, you know, the best guard on the floor. I know they had some Division I players for Josie, but Anaya Allen was the best guard on the floor. 22 points, uh, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals. You saw Anaya Moon hit three threes, had 15 points. And Bernasia Fausu, every single time I talk about this Elbert County team, that is the X factor for Elbert County. Not necessarily with her scoring, but she's so important inside and defensively. She had three points, seven rebounds, and five blocks. Then got some other key contributions. Jemiah Allen had eight points and seven rebounds. That was a big one. And now they're seeing Raven. And again, if you listen to the Final Four preview podcast, I said there is reason to feel good about this Raven County match against uh, Northeast Macon. Region 3, I uh, hate to say it, but that region just was not necessarily as for real as we thought. Still a good region, but far from being a great region. And Raven, after trailing 2 nothing, a 17-0 run, did so at Lucy Hood on the bench with two quick fouls. She has to stay out of foul trouble. Um, they, they, they ran away with that game. They won 50-39 to and were in control. Northeast tried to make it interesting a few times, but Raven handled the pressure. And they were able to get back in transition and make Northeast try and score in the half court. Um, saw a big performance from Carly Haben, the senior, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. Emmanuel Sonny, Gracie Dietz, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks. And they were able to hold Jakia Little, 23 points per game, held her to 8 points. Uh, Lanaya Richardson in the loss had 18 points. But what do we see here? This is the third matchup. I was at the two games Raven County won. They won their first matchup at Raven, 51-47. They lost at the Inferno, 51-45, a game where they did have a lead in the fourth quarter. And then in the region championship, 47-40, Raven County. And that game was at home. The key player here for Raven, who has been very effective uh, for the most part against this Elbert County team, has been Gracie Dietz, the Emmanuel Signee. She had 20 points and 9 rebounds in that 4-point win in their first matchup. And, uh, you know, in the loss, she had 16 points and 7 rebounds. But even in the, the region championship, she had 7 points. And she found herself at the line, closing this game from the foul line. Uh, she has iced a couple of wins over Elbert County from the free throw line. And this, this Raven County team, they shoot pretty well from the foul line. And uh, if, they're, if they're up late... Um, they're able to close out games there. Uh, Carly Haven has had a couple good games. She had 16 points in their first win, and then their second win when they beat them in the region championship. She had 17 points and eight rebounds, and she shot the ball very well with her pull-up jumper. And she does have that size advantage at 5'10". You're talking about Elbert County guards being 5'6". Uh, she uses her size to her advantage and gets some good, clean shots off. Um, but if you're looking at Elbert County, over the three games, Anaya Allen, she's averaged close to 17 points per game. That first game, she was in foul trouble. And she got two quick fouls and only played about six minutes in the first half. Uh, but she was electric when she got back on the floor and finished with 13 points. Raven County, as they obviously know by now, they have to slow down Elbert in transition. They can't have live ball turnovers and cannot let Anaya Allen get downhill because they just do not have the speed to stop her. Anaya Allen is... Just such a good player and so crafty getting downhill with that quickness. Um, in the championship game, and I had 11 points and 8 rebounds. 
Um, a, a key player for Elbert will be the outside shooting of uh, Naya Moon. She's averaging 11 points per game in their three matchups, and Terrace Hester is averaging just under 10 points per game. So I've already run down all the numbers. Everybody knows each other in this matchup. This should be a very good game. I think Elbert County played uh, great in the Final Four, and they're really clicking on all cylinders. And they always say it's so difficult to beat a good team three times, and that is what Raven County is tasked with doing. Uh, Elbert County brought a great fan base, and I know Raven's going to up their game in the state championship, so I expect there to be a lot of red and a lot of blue and a ton of respect between both head coaches and Dee Dillard and Coach Jones as well. Raven County was my original pick here um, before the state tournament started, and as I look at my, my bracket for Class 2A, uh, looks like we got the final four correctly picked and then the state championship game, the matchup at least, correctly picked. Um, Lucy Hood is going to have to play a big factor here. I know Sophie Woodard, another senior guard for Rabin, has hit some big shots and she's been hot scoring the ball lately. Uh, I think she had about 25 points or so in the Elite Eight and then uh, had another nice game. Uh, in the final four, but Lucy Hood, she has to stay out of foul trouble. If she's tasked with defending Nia Moon or Nia Allen, she has to be able to defend without fouling. If she gets in, you know, two quick fouls like she did against Northeast Macon, um, they're not going to be as lucky as uh, they were against Northeast Macon because Elbert County will exploit um, any type of weakness. But Hood, um, you know, she hasn't really scored the ball a whole lot this year. She had eight points in that first matchup. When they won, and then 13 points in the second meeting. So when Lucy Hood scores against Elbert County, um, they win. Uh, I'm not saying she has to take 15 to 20 shots, but she still has to be aggressive. It still just can't be a downhill, you know, dribble into lane and kick out the open shooters. That's that's good, but you still have to uh, kind of impose your will here and there. You have to be a threat scoring the ball, and I think she'll be able to do that. Again, I think this is going to be a fantastic game. Um, and I, again, I think this one does come down to kind of trying to slow down Anaya Allen. She had 26 points in that win at home at Elbert County. Um, she's really tough, but transition defense for Raven County is a key. Knocking down outside shots for both teams will be a huge factor. And who is ready for the spotlight? Both teams, all these girls on these rosters, um, have not played for a state championship uh, so this should be good. Raven County back to the state title game for the first time since 2017. Elbert County, I'm not sure if they've ever made it this far, or at least they haven't in recent memory, but this should be a great game. Fourth meeting between them. Raven County was my original pick, and I think I'm going to stick with them. And I think Gracie Dietz and Lucy Hood will have to be key factors on both ends of the floor. Next up on that Thursday we had the 3 p.m. game, Westside Augusta, number four in the state, 25 and four versus number three in the state, Butler, 22 and six. And again, this is the fourth matchup between these two teams. Oh boy, um, Westside Augusta was wildly impressive against Northeast Macon. They blitzed them from the start. Was up 22 at the half. Ended up winning 73 to 55. Um, Kellan Hudson was just outstanding. 27 points, 19 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, 3 blocks. Was automatic from the mid-range. There was just nothing Northeast Macon could do to stop him. And Xavier Goss had a nice game with 14 points and 7 rebounds. And you look at the other side, Butler a 66-45 win over Woodville Tompkins. They 
controlled this game and used a 22-6 third quarter to break out and put away the Cinderella story of Woodville Tompkins. Um, again, they're doing this without Kadar Bodie. Kendrell Glanton stepped up with 13 points and 7 rebounds. Elijah Martinez recorded 12 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists. And the big fella inside, Malik Smith, 11 points and 5 rebounds, moves very, very well. Um, so he's a key factor. But just going back on what these two teams have done, Butler won their first meeting 50-49. to Then blew him out the second game 74-52. But then Kadar Bodie hurt, broken bone in his foot. Not sure if he played this West Side game or not, but I know he's not going to play in the state championship. West Side won 52-38. I like West Side Augusta. After what I saw, obviously I thought they were uh, a tad bit more impressive. I know Butler's really good, and I think Chance Finklin is a really good player. He had an important role, 11 points off the bench and blocked some shots, and Saquon Grant is a very aggressive little guard that plays good defense. But I'm going with Westside here just because they got four guys that average in double figures. If Kalon Hudson is anywhere as efficient <laughs> as he was against Northeast Macon, that is just going to be tough to slow down. But there are a lot of sneaky good players on both rosters here. Uh, college coaches in attendance, they're really going to want to check out some of these guys. Um, but I do think Westside, with that you know explosive electric athleticism of Alexis Ewing, he makes plays on offense and defense. I think Amari Tillman is a very good guard as well. Uh, just so much to choose from. DeMarco Middleton. I think Westside Augusta, with Butler not at full strength, with Kadar Bode still out, I think Westside Augusta captures the state championship. Next up is Class 5A at 530. Here we go again. Meeting number eight over the past two years. It's number one Woodward Academy, 28-2, versus number two Forest Park, 22-6. Woodward has won seven straight games over Forest Park that won 62-59 in the championship game last year. Forest Park cut into that and made it interesting after Sonia Fagan fouled out. Uh, but they were in a little, you know, pretty decent control for the most part of that game. And then this year, Woodward, they won 55-42, 70-64, and then in the Region 3 championship, 55-33. And there's no reason for me to think anything else will happen. I'm going at Woodward Academy, who might be the best team in the entire state. Sydney Bulls. Uh, just too good, too strong. Her ability to score the ball at all levels, uh, very impressive. She dumped in 20 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, and 5 steals in a 67-35 win over Warner Robins. Sarah Lewis added 16, and then Kennedy Mosley had 15 points. Uh, Forest Park's coming off a 60-38 to win over New Manchester, but I just don't think uh, they're going to be able to slow down Sydney Bowles. Um, Jada Brown is a very good Long athletic guard, and then Yasmin Allen has had a great sophomore season. But Woodward Academy, you win seven straight games. You have the studs on your roster. I just think Woodward Academy is going to be too strong. And I think it's just it's asking a lot to hold down Sydney Bowles, a, a prolific scorer, one of the best we've seen in the past few years at Woodward Academy. I like the War Eagles to repeat as state champs. Next up in Class 5A, another rematch, at least a rematch of last year's state title game. So back-to-back rematches of state title games. Now, these two teams haven't met three times already this year, which is nice, but very interesting nonetheless. Number one Eagles landing 27-3 versus number three Tri-Cities 22-5, and I believe this is a matchup 
um, as was in Class 5A girls, that I predicted at the start of the postseason that we would see these two teams hook up again, and we were right on the money with that prediction. What to expect here? Well, Eagles Landing has been so electric in transition, but it's been getting tougher and tougher. It took overtime to knock off Jonesboro, 67-60, but they were able to find a way. And the same thing happened with Tri-Cities. Overtime again, 71-68 over Calhoun, challenged in a major, major way. But again, Simeon Cottle, who has been out of his mind, the senior guard, going to Kennesaw State, had 36 points. He's averaging... 35.5 points per game uh, in the postseason, averaging over 25 points, five rebounds, four assists, and three steals during the regular season. He has just been phenomenal. And I know this is a rematch of last year's state title game, a game that saw Eagles Landing win 81-69 and jump out to a 27-11 lead using that transition offense to put that game to bed early. Uh, A.J. Barnes had 21 points, 11 rebounds. David Thomas, 19 points. Jordan Fordyce, 15 points. Simeon Cottle had just 13 in that loss. But this is a completely different Tri-Cities team. All the transfers. Corey Mincy is playing a huge role throughout the postseason for this Tri-Cities team. He had 14 points in the Final Four. You're talking about a guy like Noriko Danner who moved in right before the season from Monday's Mill. He's been a very potent scorer as well. Ryan Matthew is a six foot nine rim protector that came in from Norcross. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot more options to choose from for Coach Forts this year. Very different. Um, Eagles Landing was my original pick. I think this game is has a chance to be the best game we see all weekend. Uh, or all week, I guess you could say. Very, very tough to pick against Simeon Cottle, who has just been out of his mind. Um, But you could say the same on the other side with David Thomas. I think Tri-Cities might be be playing a little hotter right now, and I think they're extremely dangerous. But my original pick was Eagles Landing. I know it's incredibly hard to repeat as a state champ in the GHSA, but I'm going to go with my original pick of Eagles Landing. But, um, man, I I think Tri-Cities could enter this game as a slight favorite. I could see this game really, really for sure going down to the wire and Simeon Cottle just making every play down the stretch. But I'm going to go with my original pick of Eagles Landing to repeat the state champs. Friday, March 11th at the Macon Centerplex. Class 3A, Lumpkin County 29-1 versus GAC 25-6. Lumpkin County, the number one ranked team in the state, GAC the number three ranked team in a sta- in the state. Um, we saw Lumpkin County uh, obliterate Westminster 64-42. Westminster, you know, Courtney Young did everything she could with 24 points and six rebounds, but just not enough to handle the onslaught of this Lumpkin County team that, you know, the offense is just so incredible and how efficient they are and you know, I've seen it so much that those cross screens and uh, someone pops out for a three and just so many open looks. I don't know if there's a team, maybe Harrison, uh, but other than them, no one really shoots the three-point shot better than Lumpkin County. No one's been able to take that away, but they beat Westminster in convincing fashion. Um, they got big contributions. Mary Malnex had 16 points and seven rebounds. Lexi Pierce had 20 points. Avery Jones, 14 points, four rebounds and six assists. 
Kate Jackson double double with 14 points and 10 rebounds. Now you look at GAC who managed to put away Pierce County 66 46. Kaylee Addy, the Xavier son, he had 21 points. Trini Thomas, every time Pierce County tried to make the game interesting, she came up huge with 19 points and 12 rebounds. And then JC Bolden had a nice game with 18 points. So, what to expect here? Um, everything on paper points to Lumpkin County being a, a pretty strong favorite. I know as far as uh, you know, college level goes, you know, Lumpkin County doesn't have a high major division one player like Kaylee Addy, but this team is just so balanced. And you can put four girls on the floor that can literally shoot the three from wherever and are so efficient, just play their role to a T. Um, that's tough to slow down. And again, when you just want to look at what you've seen on paper, I mean, GAC just lost to Westminster 60-59 to in the region championship. And if I'm not mistaken, we just saw Lumpkin County uh, blast Westminster 64-42. to So that is in favor of Lumpkin County. And uh, a, a fun fact, an interesting fact, Dating back to 2020, the last time GAC won that state title, Lumpkin County was just 15 and 11. Avery Jones, who is their top scorer, um, she was not on the roster. She was still in middle school. Even back then when GAC won that state championship, they got pounded pretty good twice by Lumpkin County, 51 to 38 and then 67-35. And Lumpkin County was only 15 and 11 that year. Lumpkin County was on the come up. But they were doing that with a bunch of sophomores, I believe. The senior class was sophomores now. Uh, or freshmen and sophomore, probably. Um, so, yeah, this junior class, they were freshmen. So you're talking about a team that did that as all freshmen. Now they're juniors. So things have changed. Um, but, again, Lumpkin County looks like a, a strong favorite here. Games aren't played on paper. And I know GAC is going to... Uh, go crazy on Twitter and get very mad and say weird things again. But Lumpkin County is is the heavy favorite here. It's going to be interesting to see what GAC can do to stop Lumpkin, especially considering, as we mentioned, the, the previous pass doesn't look great. But um, I think Kaylee Addy is too good of a player to not let GAC have an opportunity uh, in, you know, not have GAC within striking distance and have an opportunity to win this game in the fourth quarter and again just if you're just looking at games as far as neutral opponents and everything like that or mutual opponents um even last year when in the final four cross creek beat elton county at a buzzer beater 46 45 uh they played them very close and then you saw what happened in the the state championship game last year when it was GAC going up against Cross Creek, and they got beat 56-44. So, again, every sign points to Lumpkin County winning this game. Um, it, it's going to take a, a very good effort, and they're going to have to knock down their threes. If GAC can somehow knock or take away those three-point looks for Lumpkin County, we could have ourselves a ball game. Um, but Lumpkin County, they hands down have been the best team in the state of Georgia in Class 3 all season long, and they have not lost a game with Coach David Douse on the sidelines this year. So Lumpkin County, my original pick. This is my original matchup I thought we would see come state championship time when I did this podcast, preview podcast, before the state playoffs open. So we're right on the money here, and I think Lumpkin County will be able to win this game. But again, Kaylee Addy, J.C. Bolden, when you have good guards, you have a chance. But I just think Lumpkin County has too much, and I expect the Indians to win to add fuel to the fire.
Next up, we move on to the boys in Class 3A. Windsor Force, the three seed, and the number two ranked, well, the two seed out of Region 3, number three in the state, 23 and 6, versus Region 4, number two, number seven in the state, Cross Creek, 25 and 6 overall. They will be playing at 3 p.m. A rematch of last year's terrific Final Four matchup, a 77-76 win that Cross Creek won at the buzzer on a Corey Trotter tip-in. So these two teams do have some familiarity. Again, it is a theme that we will be seeing in a lot of classifications. But Windsor Force, they won a tough game against Thompson in the Final Four, 60-53. Game was even closer than that. Uh, Javante Landy hit a, uh, a big floater off the glass to uh, give them enough of a lead midway through the fourth quarter that helped kind of put that game away. But Deontay Bass had 13 points and eight rebounds. Um, Got 11 points from Landy in total. Michael Caballero, just a a strong physical football player at the guard spot. He's tough. I love love what he brings to the court. Had nine points. Dante Dorman added eight. And Abbasi Scott, who was in foul trouble in that first half, finished with nine points and five rebounds. And now they see the defending champs. Cross Creek, who was super impressive, 55-43. And again, another game that was uh, a lot closer than the final score. They pulled away late in the fourth quarter. Uh, Antoine Lork was the man that got the job done. 20 points, seven rebounds, one assist and four blocks. Terrence Streetman, nine points, five rebounds, three assists, two blocks. And Jacquez Ellison had eight points who I know West uh, Windsor Forest uh, is a team that we all kind of had an eye on winning this game or winning a state title this year with that senior class but Cross Creek is is very very good and I think this game is going to come down to the length inside Antoine Lork and Streetman those two guys are about six seven, and they have experience of shutting down other top forwards. Uh, just ask Antoine Lord what he did to Jabari Smith last year in the state championship against Sandy Creek. Um, looking at the two teams, and you know if if Karan Anderson is still out for Windsor Forest, a key starter that averages about nine points per game, that that's definitely going to hurt uh, the Knights. But looking at the two teams, I was pretty impressed with Cross Creek. I know they went on a scoring wall a little bit here and there, but when they're able to play inside out, Antoine Lork is a good scorer in the low post. Uh, he can do a lot of things, but he has that nice little duck-in move and use that length to finish. But, again, Deontay Bass could be there to block some of those shots, but you could say the same thing about Deontay Bass being uh, you know, put under wraps a little bit because Thompson did do a great job defending Bass. I mean, they just had their 6-2 forward, uh, Jaquan Hart defending Bass, and he really gave him a hell of a time playing good defense and using that football physicality. Um, Cross Creek's big men aren't necessarily as bulky as the uh, undersized forward was for Thompson, but they do have that length and they can jump. So I'm not sure. I know Windsor Forest is a team. I think I've been, you know, between them and Sandy Creek, I felt like Windsor Forest is a team um, that could win it this year, just a team of destiny being all seniors. And, you know, adding Larry Pounds in the middle of the season, he helped. Uh, he had five points, I believe, all coming in the first half in this Final Four matchup. But um, I kind of want to pit Cross Creek. I, I really liked what I saw. Jaden Peck is a quick little guard. Mod Hunt gets under you defensively. I love the length. I really like this Cross Creek team a lot. And it's a, a been there, done that before thing. 
Um, this is tough. This is tough because, again, we've talked about it. Dante Bass, a great player for Windsor Force, but he's not usually a guy that's going to carry the load and score 25 points. It's, you know, both teams are more uh, balanced. You know, you get 14 points here, 12 points here. Um, so if Frost Creek is able to take away Bass, it's not like they're taking away a guy like Jabari Smith last year that averaged 25 points per game. So if you're if you're uh, Windsor Forest, you got to feel okay about that. But you know, just with the eye test, I kind of like Cross Creek a little bit more. I think Jaden Pack, as I mentioned, is going to play a big role with his quickness and speed and ability to get Cross Creek going. I'm gonna stick with the team that I, I felt was uh, ready to win a state title all year long. Gonna stick with Windsor Forest, but again, just like last year with that that last second buzzer beater, this game should be terrific. And I think Windsor Forest, um, just going to go with them just because they have a couple more seniors, and that's a veteran group. And if it's not now, it feels like never. It feels like Cross Creek, they'll have an opportunity to be back, and they're here to stay for a while. But I'm going to go with Windsor Forest. I think it's going to be tough, but I'm going with Windsor Forest. Next up, Class 6A at 530. Lovejoy, number two in the state, 27 and three, versus Sequoia, number eight in the state, 24 and seven. Lovejoy was just too powerful in their win over Rockdale. Um, Brianna Preston, 30 points, seven assists, a sophomore in a 71-56 win. Uh, she was terrific. You got Kiara Peterson going too, shorter, had 15 points, and Lanaya Foster added 13. And then Sequoia. Um, X's and O's, Chris Yarbrough got the job done against Kell, and it's crazy to think Kell undefeated as freshman with that freshman class, and they, they, they made it to the state championship, lost a heartbreaker to Buford. They haven't been back since, and they only got one year left to get back there. It is tough to make it back to Macon. It is very, very tough, and especially when you see early success like that, you just kind of think, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back. We'll get it next year. They only got one year left. Uh, Sequoia shocks Kell 40-38. to Kell tried to slow it down. Sequoia was fine with it, and everything just unraveled for the Longhorns. Ellie Blatchford came up huge with 15 points. The freshman Milani Abdus-Salam, 9 points and 10 rebounds. Key play inside. But Lovejoy is entering this game as a heavy, heavy favorite. They were able to beat uh River Ridge by about 12 points, 12, 13 points. What was it, 71-59 or 71-58? Uh, uh, a River Ridge team that did beat Sequoia three times this year. Just the athleticism and the overall size and Brianna Press, it, that, that is just going to be a super tough matchup for Sequoia. Um, Lovejoy, I'm, I'm going with Lovejoy here. I picked him to originally win the state title, and I think I'm going to definitely stick with that. I just think they have too many weapons, but – you know, Cedric King, you know, he, he, he got beat before in the state championship game. He's not like the, it's, you know, it's not like the Charmin White once you get to make and see them and you know it's over. Like, he has been upset before by Tim Slater in that game against Lanier, but I don't see that being the case. I think Lovejoy just has way too much talent and way too much athleticism and speed. Just going to be tough to keep pressing out of the lane. And if she's starting to hit those pull-up jumpers, uh, I just don't know what answers Sequoia will have as far as slowing down the Wildcats. So I like Lovejoy to win this game and capture a state title. And our final game of the day, 7.30, Grovetown versus Buford, number five Buford, 25-6, and six, Grovetown, the heavy favorite at 
and three. Looking at what happened in the final four, Buford won a nail biter 73-72 over Sequoia. Alon Sumner was great, and he's going to have to be out of his mind great, knocking down outside shots against Grovetown. He had 19 points. Um, Malachi Brown stepped up in a big way with 20 points, and then Jalen Taylor, 18.7 rebounds. Jalen Taylor is going to be asked a lot, and that is a terrific next-level matchup with him and Franquan Sherman. Uh, a 6'7 junior in his own right who has been terrific since transferring over from Lincoln County. Uh, Grovetown, uh, they were they were taking it to Langston Hughes really, really, really easily. They were up double digits, but Langston Hughes stormed back. I believe they held a brief lead in the fourth quarter, but Grovetown iced it out 68-63. I think Grovetown is going to win this game. I just think they have too many pieces, too much length, too many good guards. Darian Reed is going to make plays on both ends of the floor. Frank Juan Sherman is a nightmare matchup. Um, Buford, they're going to have to hit shots. And again, I think Alon Sumler is going to have to knock down a ton of threes. Uh, and other guys are going to have to step up. David Burnett, can he hit some mid-range jumpers? Uh, it will Jalen Taylor be able to do that as well? Will Malachi Brown be able to score 20 points again? He's not necessarily known as a scorer, but can he protect the ball against the length and the trapping defense of Grovetown? I think that's just a lot to ask of Buford. I think Grovetown has you know really put everything together after that loss to Sequoia. Uh, they've been steamrolling everybody. And again, you know, Langston Hughes, they again, we we just said they did take a brief lead, I believe, late in the fourth quarter. So it's not like Grovetown is completely unbeatable, but it's just going to be a tough matchup for Buford. I think London Williams, his play inside, will he be able to score on putbacks and score around the rim uh, as effective as he's been all season long for Buford? It's going to be tough against that length of Grovetown. I think the Warriors get the state championship and I think they might be able to break this one open in the second half. The 2021-2022 GHSA basketball season wraps up on Saturday, March 12th at the Macon Centerplex Class A Private at 11 a.m. Mount Perrin, my preseason number one ranked team, gets the job done 24-4 overall. Number two in the state. They are playing number four, Hebron Christian, 26-5. and five. How did we get here? Oh, my goodness. Mount Perrin beats Holy Innocence 53-50. to 50. Jessica Fields, the freshman, who I said could play a really big role and might have been, might will be, might could be the missing piece of the puzzle for Mount Perrin to win a state title this year. The freshman, 20 points and seven rebounds. Georgia Tech signee Kara Dunn, 14 points and 11 rebounds. They erase Holy Innocence from the state tournament. Now they see Hebron, a 49-47 winner over Galloway, who had late-game heroics. Nakia Daniel, a tip-in at the buzzer. She had a huge game, 17 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. The freshman guard, Aubrey Beckham, 10 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. Jesse Parrish dominated in the post defensively. Wofford signing nine points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals, and seven big blocks. So Jan Azar looking for another state title and trying to repeat, which would be uh, quite impressive because it's a completely different roster essentially from last year's team. Uh, A lot of these girls did not see big minutes last year other than Parrish, Uh, but they are right back in Macon playing for another state title. Now they're saying this senior-laden 
Mount Perrin team, now or never, Kara Dunn and company. I'm going with Mount Perrin here. Kara Dunn is the best player on the floor. Will she be able to do enough? Yeah, it will be tough. Jessica Fields has to repeat uh, the similar production she had in the last round where she exploded. But her length inside, uh, you know, I know Hebron has some big girls as well, and they have length as uh, two that they can throw out there. But I think Jessica Fields, uh, she's going to have to play a big role. And then those role players and other key pieces, Caitlin Dunning going to West Georgia, she has to be very good with the ball. She has to protect the ball. She has to work those pick and rolls and find the open roller or hit the slip, hit the uh, the trail, hit, hit the, the pick and pop. So, you know, she's got to be good in those situations. And she's proven over the course of her career that she can make the right reads. Uh, you know, freshmen played some big roles down the stretch for this Mount Perrin team. Uh, we saw Jada come up big for Mount Perrin. Uh, grabbing some rebounds and making plays happen. Um, it's going to have to play a big role, and I think Coach Dunn is very comfortable playing those freshmen like Jada Harvey. Um, also, you know, we already mentioned Fields, and then you can see Catal Humans in there at some points. And then, you know, the seniors, Kalen Kirkland's a 5'10 forward. Uh, you got another player in Shamaria Jennings who's an athletic defensive stopper. So there's a lot of options Coach Dunn has to turn to, but Hebron as well. Amaya Porter's really good. Malia Melton does a good job on the glass. I think this game uh, has to go down to the final buzzer, has to go down to the wire. But my preseason number one, a team I thought could get it done at the beginning of the season, I'm going to go without Perrin to capture the state title. Next up. We see the boys game, Green Forest, number one in the state, 27-4, versus number three in the state, Kings Ridge, 28-4. Green Forest, uh, complete control against Heritage School, 68-41, 15 points from Florian Tenenbaugh, and then a bunch of blocks from DK Manuel and Guy Chol. Now they're seeing Kings Ridge, who took overtime to hold off FPD and 38 points from Jay King, uh, 59-57, Kings Ridge got the job done as Jack Thomas hit a pair of free throws with 1.5 seconds remaining. Isaac Martin scored 18 points in that game. Liam Thomas and Micah Hoover, uh, eight points apiece. Well, it's going to come down to the three-point line. If Kings Ridge can hit 12 or more threes, 10 or more threes, they can have an opportunity in this one, but Green Force is huge with the seven-footers inside and the athleticism and the overall physicality. They're going to be bigger, stronger, and taller and likely faster at every single position in Kings Ridge. Uh, but that three-point shot is a great equalizer. Uh, if, if Isaac Martin can get going and others can follow his lead, if Zach Thomas can score a few, uh, they'll have an opportunity. But I just think they're going to be giving up so much to Green Forest. And Green Forest has seen so many great teams, especially at the 7A level. I think Green Forest, you know, Jalen Forrest, Florian Tenenbaugh and company, uh, just way too strong. I think Kings Ridge will be able to stick around and make it interesting. But I think Green Forest just too much on paper, too much on the floor, too big. And their guard play is very solid as well. And I think if they just are able to hold Kings Ridge in check from the three-point line, they should win this game. Now at 5.30, 7A, 
girls basketball. Number four, Norcross, 25-5 versus number five, Harrison, 27-3. Harrison has won 20-plus games in a row. They are absolutely rolling. And again, the three-point shots, they just keep piling them in. Live by the three, die by the three, and they have thrived by the three. Have not been slowed down yet. They hit 12 threes in a 59-52 win over Archer. And again, just pick your poison. Bailey, Bailey Vick, 13 points. Alicia Foster and Anna Gurnett, 12 points apiece. They handle it, and they get the job done over Archer. And they see Norcross, a 54-51 winner over Campbell. Norcross getting a three from Danasia Morton, 40 seconds left, and we're able to hold it off, hold on to the lead. A 20-0 run uh, gave them the cushion they needed after falling behind 14-2 to start. And the DePaul signee, Zarya Hurston, 22 points and 15 rebounds. And Norcross, again, they are going to have the huge advantage with the length, with the quickness everything but we've been able to say that the past few games against Harrison Grayson had that same advantage Archer not quite as much but still did have the advantage at a couple areas but again this game is going to come down to how the game is called if you're not able to be physical and use that that quickness and that size to your advantage when defending Harrison you're going to be in trouble um you're going to be in trouble. Harrison's done a good job. You know, they've handled pressure. I know I saw them struggle against the pressure against East Coweta back in the day, but they've gotten much better. I think, a, you know, more of a, a full-court trapping defense could could potentially lead to a few turnovers and make things a little bit in, more interesting. But Harrison does a really nice job, especially against the zone press, breaking it and then getting into their offense and shooting the lights out. Now, of course, uh, you know, they, 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 they shot well at the Buford City Arena, so they already have uh, excelled at a, an arena setting. You know, the centerplex, you know, the backdrop's a little different, but still, you, you can't really use that too much as a factor because they did just shoot 12 threes. Um, if you're looking at these two teams, I mean, Norcross has played better teams overall. Harrison has done the job in the state playoffs and has had a, you know, a difficult route. But Norcross, they've played Mount Perrin. They've played uh, Grayson before. They played North Forsyth. You know, they played a lot of really good teams in the regular season. And then what they've done in the postseason, you know, they beat Roswell. Um, they're able to beat Tiff County. They're able to uh, knock off Brookwood. Uh, of course, they just beat Campbell. So they've seen, they have seen the best of the best and have gotten the job done. Does the magic run out for Harrison, a senior-laden team, three-point shot? Can Norcross take that away? Can Janai Akins use her creativity off the bounce and put Harrison in some tough spots defensively? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a really good game. Harrison, uh, as we mentioned, they are the red-hot team. That is a team that continues to win, 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 no matter what. Uh, as I pull it up here, they've won, what, 21 straight games now. Um, their only losses on the season was to, by six points to Marietta, by eight points to Buford. Those were back-to-back games. And then early in the season, game number two, they lost by six to Forest Park. But they're a completely different team now. They've been just clicking and buzzing on all cylinders. Tough to slow down. But if Norcross can figure out how to stop the three-point shot, and if they can establish Zaria Hurston, if she stays out of foul trouble, she's going to eat up the glass. 
and score around the rim. I think Norcross wins the state title. They figure it out in the three-point shooting comparison. They're able to somewhat hold it in check. They're probably still going to hit seven or eight, but if they keep it under 10, that can give them an opportunity. And I do think the length, the quickness, again, broken record. I said the same thing about Grayson, but if they're able to defend and this game isn't called extremely crazy tight, and they can defend and they can use a press and go to whatever they want to do, I think Norcross will find a way to win this game in a close matchup. Next up, the final game of the season. It is round number four. Burkmarth, number three in the state. They're back in making at 26-4 versus the surprise Norcross. Number eight in the state, 25 and six. Norcross has really come together and jailed at the right time. Again, Colin Hubbard getting the huge quote from the Elite Eight, a 58 55 win over North Gwinnett when they talked to uh, Ezekiel Flagg, saying, Coach Mack deserves one. He's been coaching great teams, his teams just weren't able to cooperate but we're ready to cooperate and norcross has done just that cooperating and you have to give coach mcmillan a ton of credit since i've been covering you know norcross you always talk about norcross and say man this team has top five top three most talented roster in the state you can look up and down you got guys on the bench you probably got seven or eight guys at any given time that are division one players that hasn't necessarily happened this year. A lot of guys have transferred out of Norcross, but addition by subtraction, you're trimming the fat off the roster, and guys are starting to buy in or already have bought in. A 75-72 win over Newton. Jerry Dang has caught fire down the stretch in this postseason. He has been so good for Norcross. He had 24 points in the win over Newton, and of course, London Johnson is just fantastic in his own right. Um, he had 20 points, but they're playing Burkmar, a 72-58 winner over Pebblebrook again. Pebblebrook, this was the year, and again, they're not able to get it done, and it's just so dang difficult to win a state championship in this classification in Class 7A. It just is so darn hard, and um, Burkmar was able to turn them back and secure a monster, monster, monster win uh, Berkmar got 22 points from Jamil Rydat, who has been playing exceptional basketball, really, really bringing it. You know, his final game is now, you know, this Saturday, but he is going out with a major bang for number three, Berkmar. And uh, he got some big contributions as well from, of course, Malik Ewing had 19 points, a big old miss post presence, had a great game. Um, so now what has happened between these two teams? Berkmar is swept. Berkmar won 68-67. They won 54-52, a game that I was at. And then they won in the region championship without Malik Ewing, 45-39. So Coach Greg Phillips has been clicking and has been uh, you know, pulling all the right strings against this Norcross team. They have had their number. But again, as they always say, it's tough to beat a team three times. I mean, how tough could it be to beat a team four times? That has to be almost impossible, right? Well, Berkmar in that second match of the game, I was able to see Malik Ewan had a huge game, had 19 points and eight rebounds, hit two buzzer beaters to end quarters, um, and did so off the dribble on tough shots. 
Uh, Bryson Blaine had a really good game along with Jamari Hill. Both of them had 14 points in that 54-52 win. And in that 54-52 win, which was the second meeting they had that year, uh, this year, London Johnson had 19 points. Samari and Bond had 14. But missing in action was Jerry Dang. He was quiet with just five points. But ever since then, I feel like Jerry Dang has been on another level. Um, Berkmar, I would have to think, is my pick here. But Norcross, they're playing so well together. They're cooperating. They are, you know, I, I, I don't want to say house money because it's crazy to think when you're talking about Norcross. But this is a Norcross team that, you know, hasn't had that success that they used to have back in the, you know, 2010s and early 2000s. They haven't been at that pinnacle yet, but they have a chance to win a game. And when is the last time we've seen Norcross in a state championship game as an underdog? That doesn't happen quite too often. It really, really doesn't. I know they've had some some battles in the past before, you know, going up against Meadow Creek, a team they saw multiple times and, you know, didn't fare too well in those state title games. But this is a team that is playing very, very well, very, very strong. Um, Coach McMillan has them extremely focused. And if we look at, you know, history against, you know, they're, they're on the other side of this now. Yeah. As I pull it up in real time, in 2018, when Norcross lost in the state championship game, they played Meadow Creek multiple times. They beat Meadow Creek by 13 points. They beat Meadow Creek by one point. They beat them by one point in the region championship. So they had to play them and beat them for a fourth time. They lost to Meadow Creek 56-43. So does history repeat itself? The shoe is on the other foot now. I know a different opponent, but Norcross going in 0-3. Can they get the one win that matters most against Berkmar? I think it's quite possible. I'm picking Berkmar, but Norcross, hey, you're the underdog. You got nothing to lose. Should be a very entertaining game, considering it's been decided by one point, by two points, and by six points. Berkmar is my state champion, but I know it's going to go down to the wire. And there you have it, folks. That is your state championship preview podcast. All games will have live recaps as soon as games go final on sandyspiel.com. And again, thank you for tuning in. Not sure if we'll have a post uh, championship podcast. Probably unlikely. Still have a lot of stuff I got to dig out from under as far as work goes. But March 20th, Sandy Spill Spring Showcase at Chesty High School for boys and girls. More information on sandyspill.com and on Twitter at KyleSandy355. Again, thank you for everybody that has listened to all these preview podcasts. A lot of bulletin board material. I know everyone goes crazy this time of year. But remember, my job is to pick winners and losers. It's nothing personal most of the time. Uh, Thank you, and I will see you guys in Macon.